Hola, welcome to the pub. Come on over. I heard a joke the other day. Now, stop me if you've heard this one already. A group of elderly folks were sitting around talking about all their ailments at the coffee shop. My arms have gotten so weak, I can hardly lift this coffee cup, said one. Yes, I know, said another. My cataracts are so bad, I can't even see my coffee. Well, I couldn't even mark an X at election time. My hands are so crippled, volunteered a third. What? Speak up, what? I can't hear you, said one elderly lady. I can't turn my head because of the arthritis in my neck, said one, to which several nodded weakly in agreement. My blood pressure pills make me so dizzy, exclaimed another. Well, I forget where I am sometimes and where I'm going, said another. Well, I guess that's the price we pay for getting old, winced an old man as he slowly shook his head. The others nodded in agreement. Well, count your blessings, said a woman cheerfully. At least we can still drive. (laughs) Yeah, you know... This really got me thinking about something that's been percolating in the back of my mind for well over a year, but this past weekend, it actually boiled over. Now, for a while now, I've been so much more aware of the increasing number of idiots and morons behind the wheel on the roads. Of course, Americans are in a long-term love fest with their cars, and like guns, many will declare that you can have my car keys when you pry them out of my cold, dead hand. Now, I've had a few love loves uh, in my car past. You know, the, the first car I had was a sweet 1968 Firebird convertible, a genuine muscle car and definite chick magnet at the drive-in movies. Now, more recently, my older model BMW that I had while I lived in Germany was a true machine of beauty. And of course, driving it on the Autobahn, well, there's nothing like that anywhere else in the world. But here and now, It seems like every 20-something with a little disposable income drives like they're trying out for a spot in the next Fast and Furious movie. Or they're truly so old and unaware that their kids or the government should have taken them off the road a decade ago. Now, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of older drivers that are doing just fine, but I do think their numbers are dwindling rapidly. Now, lately, I feel like maybe I've moved into that latter category. You know, I don't mind driving, it's just that I don't really enjoy it anymore. You know, I've had my share of illnesses and it's taken a toll on my ability to drive and certainly my enjoyment of driving. I mean, when you have trouble hearing the radio over the road noise and the ringing in your ears, you know, when your sight at night or when it's raining makes you question, how close is that semi-truck really? Or when your feet are numb and you can't be sure if you're pressing the brake or the clutch, you really have to stop and think, you know, maybe it's my time. Maybe I shouldn't be behind the wheel. Of course, a quick trip to the grocery store in the middle of the day, that's not a problem. But an hours-long trip at night, in the rain, in heavy traffic, that's a whole other ball of wax. But here's the twist. I I really need to drive because I worry so much when my wife drives. It makes me super anxious. You see, she drives like she's in a Mad Max movie. Now, if I'm the ultimate defensive driver, she is on offense like there's no tomorrow. I really do think that she has a bucket load of road rage bottled up and heaven help the poor driver that pushes her over the edge. So I drive when we're together because my anxiety makes her crazy and I appreciate that and so I drive. But after this last rainy nighttime drive, I don't think I'm cut out for this anymore. I think my drive-in nights and Audubon afternoons are well behind me now and I'm actually looking forward to the day that my kids sit me down and say, Dad, we need to talk about your driving. Hell, what's taking them so long? I keep dropping the hints, but that conversation has yet to happen. And when it does, I'll be tossing them the keys so quick, it'll make their heads spin. I'm going to use my yearly AAA fees to buy an expensive bottle of whiskey, retire somewhere warm and sunny, and live close enough to the grocery and pub that I can walk. So, 
If Uber can't get me there, I don't need to go. And if Amazon can't deliver it to me, I don't fucking need it. I'm looking forward to the day that my car and I part ways forever. It just can't happen soon enough. Well, enough about driving. Let's go to the bar. There's a single malt I want to introduce you to. Okay, we're at the bar, and I want to introduce you to uh, a single malt whiskey called Kalila. Uh, now, we're going back to Isle for this for this malt. Uh, it's on the north shore of, of the island of Isle, and uh, if you know anything about whiskeys in, in Isle, uh, you know that they're usually heavily peated and very unique in, in their in their, their their expressions. Now, Kalila, the the, the Gaelic means uh, the sound of Isle, and the, the location of this place is just in a beautiful spot, overlooking, of course, uh, the, the sound of Isle. Um, there's a hillside that's just covered with, with fuchsias and foxglove, wild roses, uh, and there's a kind of a peaty lock nearby where they get their water. Um, it's salty, it's kind of minerally, it comes up through limestone, um, and this is kind of what gives Kalila some of their, their uniqueness. Um, it's not a, a real common whiskey, and it may not be easy to find, but if you do find a Kalila, a 12 or an 18 year old, um, that's really awesome. Uh, it's not heavily peated. Um, it, it's got a kind of a minty golden um, uh, flavor, burnt grass, uh, you know, the, the leafy sweetness. Um, it's, it's just really unique. So look for Kalila if you're out and about. Uh, it's something that's great. Uh, hey, let's finish this whiskey and uh, come back because there's, there's an old, old story uh, of an uppity woman that I think you'll like to hear. Although women had always been a part of the audience for a Greek theater, females didn't get to be uh, hypocrites, which incidentally is the Greek word for actor, uh, until Roman times. In the lively, raunchy, sometimes gross realism of pantomime theater, actresses like Basilla demonstrated that they had as much talent for hypocrisy as the next man. They also got to show off their flair for nudity, stunts, and cross-dressing. Women also played male roles, just as men had played female parts for centuries. Basilla came from Aquilia, uh, the most commercially important city in northern Italy in the 3rd century AD. Her acting career took her to towns and cities all around the Roman world. Rank-and-file actresses, many who became as, began as slaves, had the same social standing as actors, which is basically none. A Roman law actually forbid senators and other freeborn men from marrying actresses and other morally dubious types. Basilla and others reached uh, stardom and became famous, wealthy, and sought after, graciously hanging out with cultural groupies like Emperors Nero and Hadrian. To reach the success, Basilla did it all, from dancing parts to acting roles in plays, mimes, and choruses. The stick that she became most famous for, however, was death. An inscription about her in the theater at Aquilia uh, praises Basilla for her uncanny ability to die realistically on stage and calls her the Tenth Muse. Well, hats off to you, Basilla, and thanks again for coming to the pub today. Um, Soft back if you can. Ciao.